If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 13, 2023. The podcast that makes it hard to do the impossible. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's ozonize the news of the bogus. It's the classic tactic. Accuse someone else of doing what you are. That's exactly what the January 6th subcommittee did when, after brazenly accusing Donald Trump of obstruction of justice, destroyed a lot of the evidence surrounding the Capitol Hill occupation and ensuing riot. The now-disbanded J6 committee, formerly known as the United States House Select Committee on the January 6th attack, was formed in violation of the very House resolution that created it, which should have had 13 members, eight appointed by Speaker Nancy Pelosi and five by Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. But Pelosi didn't like who McCarthy chose, so she included none of them and instead chose 10 to serve herself. The result was Franz Kafka turned into a Monty Python sketch. Scripted testimony punctuated by professionally edited videos was interspersed with clips of testimony from witnesses who later complained that their testimony had been edited to distort or even reverse its meaning. And one of the issues they hilariously failed to resolve was, why were Capitol Hill officers so unprepared for the riot? It was known well beforehand that numerous protest groups were going to show up, including Antifa, who had directly threatened violence against Trump supporters. So Barry Loudermilk, chairman of the Subcommittee on Oversight, which is under the Committee on House Administration, the successor committee to the J6 Committee, wanted to gather the information about that, only to find out that it no longer exists. Quote, Part of our task as this oversight subcommittee is to actually address the security failures, look into how did it happen, how were these folks able to get into the Capitol. And everything they got was in a state of complete disarray. Quote, Nothing was indexed. There was no table of contents. Usually when you conduct this level of investigation, you use a database system and everything is digitized, indexed. We got nothing like that. We just got raw data. So it took us a long time going through it, and one thing I started realizing is we don't have anything much at all from the blue team. The blue team, as we've discussed before, is the part of the J6 committee whose job it was to investigate the security failures. We talked about how the team was obstructed at every juncture in order to pin the blame on Trump. Quote, We've got lots of depositions. We've got lots of subpoenas. We've got video and other documents provided through subpoenas by individuals, but we're not seeing anything from the blue team as far as reports on the investigation they did looking into the actual breach itself. What we also realized we didn't have was the videos of all the depositions. So Loudermilk wrote to J6 Committee Chair Benny Thompson to try and figure out how they can get the information they need. All House committees are required to preserve all records, testimony, videos, transcripts, everything. In the letter, he wrote, I was concerned to discover that some non-current records were not archived, despite the requirements of the rules of the House of Representatives and the resolution that established the select committee. 
The video recordings of transcribed interviews and depositions, which featured prominently during the Select Committee's hearings, were not archived or transferred to the Committee on House Administration. Furthermore, you sent a letter to Mr. Richard Sauber, Special Counsel to President Joe Biden, on December 30, 2022. In this letter, you stated that you cannot ensure enforcement of the commitment to maintain the confidentiality of the identity of the witness. You go on to say that you were returning transcripts to an undisclosed person or place for appropriate review, timely return, and designation of instruction for proper handling by the archives. You also stated that the decision was done with then-Speaker Pelosi. Yes, the evidence was turned over to the Biden administration to basically be whitewashed before coming back to the House. And in the meantime, the select committee dissolved and nothing else was done about it. In response, Thompson basically threw a hissy fit and called Loudermilk a fibbing fibber who fibs. Quote, I will afford you the courtesy of a response, which is particularly important given your letter's significant factual errors. Mmm, salty. He claimed that he and his staff worked to prepare, quote, The Select Committee's more than one million records for publication and archiving. I encourage you to carefully review the Select Committee's over four terabyte digital archive, which includes the eDiscovery Platform's electronic archive file, before asserting that certain non-current records were not archived. Thompson, it's not about how much you included, but what you didn't. Oh, but check this part out. Vice Chair Liz Cheney and I sent letters to the White House Special Counsel and the Department of Homeland Security regarding the Select Committee's loan of some then-current material containing law enforcement-sensitive operational details and private personal information that, if released, could endanger the safety of witnesses. As indicated in the letters, the Select Committee wrote to those authorities seeking their assistance and guidance in the proper archiving of such sensitive material to protect witnesses' safety, national security, and to safeguard law enforcement operations. This was part of the Select Committee's effort to accommodate the executive branch in appropriately protecting certain sensitive information while also complying with the archiving rules of the House. The executive branch was still conducting its review of that material to provide appropriate archiving guidance at the time the select committee dissolved. Accordingly, the select committee did not have the opportunity to properly archive that material with the rest of its records with the benefit of the executive branch's guidance to ensure witness safety, our national security, and law enforcement sensitive information. Did you get that? Thompson admitted that that's exactly what they did. So where are these significant factual errors? There's even a footnote, quote, The select committee did not archive temporary committee records that were not elevated by the committee's actions, such as use in hearings or official publications, or those that did not further its investigative activities. Accordingly, and contrary to your letter's implication, the select committee was not obligated to archive all video recordings of transcribed interviews or depositions. Loudermilk said, quote, He's saying they decided they didn't have to. It was clear in the law they had to, especially, and if there was any question, the fact that they used the videos in the hearings would dictate that it had to be preserved. The more we go in, the more we're realizing that there's things that we don't have. We don't have anything about security failures at the Capitol. We don't have the videos of the depositions. 
Loudermilk also found a letter that wasn't turned over to his committee from Thompson to White House Special Counsel Richard Sauber and the DHS about a direct arrangement between the J-6 committee and the White House. Quote, No version of the letter to Mr. Sauber, either redacted or unredacted, or the letter to the DHS General Counsel was archived by the Select Committee or provided to this committee. Additionally, there is no explanation of what transcripts these letters are referring to or why you, in coordination with then-Speaker Pelosi, did not immediately archive the records with the clerk. Why didn't they preserve this? Did they not want us to know that there were documents that they had sent back to the executive branch? Of Thompson, Loudermilk said, quote, I think Chairman Thompson's response to me is indicting of him. It's almost like saying, okay, yeah, we decided not to give you stuff. And I'm reading it as, oh, you decided not to give us the things that you didn't want us to see. I mean, that's kind of the way you have to look at this. And keep in mind, Pelosi was 100% in charge of capital security at the time. Despite plans from the FBI, DHS, and other agencies among various groups, including some 50-plus undercover agents that we know of who were there at the protest, and then they just conveniently lose critical evidence after it was sent to the White House. Jeez, not even Kafka could make that up! How is this not tampering with evidence and obstruction of justice? If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Gadonkin Experiment If you were going to engage in widespread voter fraud, how would you do it? What you wouldn't likely do is have the same person or group go around using just one method. You'd do it in a distributed fashion, many different people and groups in many different places using many different methods. And we've just seen how much tampering can be done at the behest of a single person. Thanks to a FOIA request, we have a police report concerning voter fraud in Michigan where Muskegon City Clerk Ann Meisch noticed one person whose identity was redacted dropped off upwards of 10,000 completed voter registration forms on 8 October 2020 less than a month before the election. Meish found the forms to be, quote, highly suspicious and possibly fraudulent. Numerous forms appeared to have been completed by the same writer, and upon initial examination, addresses on multiple forms were invalid or non-existent. Phone numbers on multiple forms were erroneous, 
and signatures on multiple forms didn't appear to match signatures on file with the Department of Secretary of State. In one case, the address of the high school was used. Some of the addresses didn't even exist. In Michigan, the margin between Trump and Biden was 154,188 votes, so this is a significant chunk of that margin. An investigative task force was formed. The female suspect said she was being paid $1,150 a week to find and register unregistered voters. I guess find in this case means make up out of whole cloth. The whole thing seems to have been buried by A.G. Dana Nessel's Criminal Investigation Division. Nessel is still claiming there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud in Michigan. Keep listening to know how seriously to take that claim. Oh, and also keep in mind that Nessel is actively prosecuting Trump's Michigan electors for fraud. Corey Ames, analyst with the Michigan Secretary of State, confirmed that a number of the forms were, quote, clearly fraudulent. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson also claimed there was no widespread voter fraud in Michigan, even though she, too, was well aware of this investigation. After weeks of investigation, the Michigan police were ordered to turn everything over to the FBI, who promptly buried it. One unredacted name in the report is GBI Strategies, the name of the organization running the scheme. Not only are they heavily connected to Biden and numerous Democratic groups, they received over $240,000 from the Biden campaign and another two forty dollars from Gary Peters for Senate. They also received $188,000 from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Employees were paid by the hour or day in money, reloadable Visa gift cards, and prepaid gift cards, which of course can't be traced. They were also given burner phones. Yeah, sounds legit. Not only did the police, when searching their facility after getting a warrant, find partially completed voter registration forms, they also found semi-automatic rifles with suppressors and optics, along with customized pistols. Noice! Their witness noticed them moving minivans from a hotel to the business location, which said California Eye Care on the awning. They discovered that California Eye Care is permanently closed. Meanwhile, after Mysh had finished examining all of the ballots, they all had similar signatures and all came from the same company. They also found evidence that GBI Strategies was doing this all over the state, and those 10,000 forms were just from one woman. But the organization rented a lot of vans, including one that, suspiciously, delivered a ballot dump at 3.30 a.m. The link in the show notes includes the security camera footage. None of the forms or ballots were checked for signatures because Benson ordered clerks to illegally presume all the signatures were a match. By the way, GBI, which incorporated in Tennessee, was officially dissolved in 2017. And yet, they still had this activity going on in Michigan and 19 other states around the country and consults in an additional seven. FEC filings show they got more than $11 million from PACs in 2020. They're even actively hiring. And the FBI just gobbled up all this information and we never heard about it until now. What else are they hiding? Because this is one person. If it was done by just 15 Michiganders, that would be enough to call the election into question. 
and there are a lot of other states where the margin was even narrower, including Arizona and Georgia, where the margin was smaller than the number of fraudulent voters this person registered. Wisconsin was only slightly larger with 20,000 votes. Who knows how many people in how many states the Biden campaign was doing this in? Michigan State Senator and former Secretary of State Ruth Johnson said, quote, My estimate is that over 800,000 ballot applications were sent to non-qualified voters in Michigan, including many individuals who moved or died, and even some individuals who were underage or non-citizens. Many were sent to people who had moved out of state. That's on top of all of the other problems and irregularities we've covered, and a lot we haven't. They keep kicking these out individually on the grounds that they're not enough to cover the margin, but add them all together? Way bigger! And they'll say there was no evidence of voter fraud. Follow the link in the show notes and read for yourself some 60 pages of police reports showing what one individual was able to do and how this was part of a massive nationwide operation. We have the FOIA documents, and yet, not one word from the mainstream press. Figures. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. More ridiculous drama from the SEC in the crypto space. After Coinbase neatly avoided everything else the SEC threw at them, they're now ordering the exchange to delist every cryptocurrency except for Bitcoin. I mean, it's a step up from their initial demand for them to cease trading in all cryptos. According to CEO Brian Armstrong, quote, They came back to us and they said, We believe every asset other than Bitcoin is a security. And we said, Well, how are you coming to that conclusion? Because that's not our interpretation of the law. And they said, we're not going to explain it to you. You need to delist every asset other than Bitcoin. And since delisting all of the other assets would have basically killed the crypto industry, they decided to fight it in court instead. The company has asked the court to dismiss the case because of the simple fact that they offer precisely zero investment contracts as defined by Supreme Court precedent. Whereas the SEC says they have to operate exactly like stocks, citing precisely no precedent whatsoever, not even their own. The investment contract thing is, as we've covered in the past, just one of the four prongs of the Howey test which is the Supreme Court's criteria for determining if an offer is a security. 
The SEC hasn't made that a formal request, which would require a full vote of the commissioners. So apparently, the SEC isn't even following the rest of the SEC! The SEC maintains that, by failing to register, and as we covered before, there's literally no way for them to register, they acted against the interests of their users. They also targeted the staking program, which they also claim is an unregistered security. Separately, the SEC is taking action against Binance with the same allegations and demands. The SEC, of course, is continuing to not comment to the press and even to not answer anyone's questions at all, even businesses trying to operate legally. Apparently, they think the proper way to find out whether or not you're operating legally is to wait for them to sue you. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to over-commercialize this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. It's more in the continuing YouTube DL saga. Having utterly failed to take down their GitHub page in the U.S., the IAA, acting through Sony, Warner, and Universal, have gone to Germany demanding their hosting provider take them down. Yet again, there is absolutely nothing illegal whatsoever about YouTube DL. It has substantial non-infringing uses. Not only fair use among people who make responses, but journalists and others who archive important videos of the public interest. We covered YouTube's rolling cipher before and pointed out how it's nothing remotely resembling a technical protection measure. But apparently, although actions to that effect have gone nowhere in the U.S., it is considered a violation of the law in Europe. While the software itself is hosted on GitHub, Uberspace was still held liable because they host the website youtube-dl.org, which links to the GitHub. Remember when people complained we were fear-mongering about Europe trying to make links illegal? Well, here you are. Uberspace made the absolutely sensible claim that YouTube DL isn't doing anything a web browser isn't when it plays a video, but the bought and paid for cork was having none of it. The Hamburg Regional Court ruled. The average user must recognize that YouTube content, unlike media content on other websites, cannot be downloaded with a simple right-click and must be aware that this is achieved using technology on YouTube and that YouTube DL overrides this protection. It is therefore to be assumed that the average user acts in bad faith. I want to read out that sentence again. 
It is therefore to be assumed that the average user acts in bad faith. Man, innocent until proven guilty is dead and buried over there. Uberspace had appealed, but the music companies posted a 20,000 euro bond, which now means they have to comply. Uberspace owner Jonas Pasha said, quote, I received that information from the plaintiff's side on July 27, with proof that they did the security deposit at a bank. So I no longer have a choice but to follow the judgment. Otherwise, I would face a fine of 250,000 euros or jail time. Now, visiting the site returns an access denied error. But they're not giving up. Quote, we are confident that a higher court will overturn the judgment of the Hamburg Regional Court, so we will be able to unblock the site as soon as this happens. It must be nice to have a hosting company who's willing to go to bat for you. The software remains on GitHub, of course, and since Uberspace isn't the domain registrar, YouTube DL might be able to rehost elsewhere. But Pasha fears this might open the door to outright censorship. Quote, the consequences of this will be that hosting providers receiving complaints will most likely kick out their customers without a court ruling for things that might be perfectly legal. This is a shameful day for the freedom of speech. It's paving the way for privatized censorship. Do we, as a society, really want this? We strongly believe we're on the right side of history here. Hopefully they end up being on the right side of a sensible court ruling as well. Until then, that just makes Germany and the RIAA this week's biggest bogani emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's pre-discriminate against this week's... Idiot Another one we've talked about before. Most of us cut the cord because we were tired of high cable bills and streaming services were much cheaper. Then, all of the big content providers decided that they each needed their own streaming service, and in some cases, several. That's definitely the case with Warner Brothers Discovery, which has HBO Max, Cinemax, Magnolia, Discovery Plus, and many others. That doesn't count the shutdown of several others, such as CNN Plus. The main issue is that their streaming services just aren't making money. They've gone hundreds of billions in debt, laid off 50,000 people, picked the worst person possible to head CNN, Chris Licht, who lasted just 13 months, and a ton of other missteps. And now they're trying to resurrect it all with a new Max service. 
whereupon they promptly lost 1.8 million subscribers this past quarter. Apparently, customers like consistency. Who knew? During the same quarter, they lost $10.3 million in total revenue. Apparently, according to CEO David Sazlov, that constitutes, quote, going exceedingly well. It didn't help that, instead of upgrading and rebranding the old app, they made subscribers download a whole new one. It also didn't help that, unlike the more quality offerings HBO Max emphasized, the new Max app seems primarily focused on cheap reality shows involving drag queens, ghost hunters, and various people trying and failing to have sex. So much for no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public, H.L. Mencken, meet Warner Brothers Discovery. Also, Warner Brothers Discovery, meet the diseconomies of scale. Bigger ain't always better, especially when, compared to other streaming apps, Max users are reporting bugs like abrupt stops and crashes. Meanwhile, piracy still works. What was wrong when we had some good competition just between Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime? Letting companies specialize in things like streaming is much more efficient than trying to do everything yourself. So all of that makes Warner Brothers Discovery this week's Idiot Extraordinary! Well, that wraps up this I picked the wrong play, the wrong director, the wrong cast. Where did I go right? Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from George Orwell's 1984. The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. <laughs>